Hi, this is Pastor Dave Rosales, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. If you've been impacted by these Bible studies, we'd like to hear from you. Whether you're listening through iTunes, Google Play, or any other platform, tap on the stars and leave us a review. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. If you'd like to support this ministry, would you consider partnering with us? Visit our website at calvaryccv.org and click on Give. You can leave us a one-time gift or set up a recurring general donation. Thank you for your support. And now let's begin today's message. Today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 8 here and conclude verses uh, from verse 26 to the end of the chapter. I've been taking snapshots out of different chapters, but as I was preparing this particular study this week, I, I, I noticed that uh, I, would, I really wouldn't give the kind of study I want to give if I just kind of took snapshots out of chapter 8 and then moved into the, the study that I was going to give in chapter 9, which is the conversion of Saul. And because I want to spend more time looking at the conversion that the Apostle Paul went through and give more detail and look at it more closely, I began to look at chapter 8 and I thought, you know, verses 26 to 40 has so much to look at, and I think in very practical ways, that I'm just going to do that. I'm going to take you through verses 26 to 40 the next week as we gather we're going to be look at the, looking at the conversion of uh, Saul and how that this one became the Apostle Paul. So today we'll begin here in chapter 8 at verse 26. I'm going to read to verse 29, give you some introductory remarks, and, and look at, at the, um, the subject, if you believe. And you'll see why in just a moment as we get to the uh, portion of Scripture that, that refers to that. So beginning at verse 26, reading to verse 29, Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the, uh, the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Now, last time we were together, I was giving you uh, some background and reminders of how the gospel is spreading. The gospel has now spread from the city of Jerusalem, and uh, this is in reference to the fact that Jesus had given a, a command to his disciples to take the gospel throughout the world. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he said, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he had said, Make disciples of all the nations. And so later he gave greater insight into how this particular command would be observed. How would these men who have never really traveled be able to obey a command like that? Take this through the world. Well, in Acts 1.8, he had said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and he said to the uttermost or to the end of the earth. How is it going to take place? 
Well, they're going to have the Word of God, but they're also going to have the power of God. And they'll be empowered to evangelize the world. You see, after Pentecost, that is what they've been doing. On Pentecost, the disciples had shared the gospel in Jerusalem. They even established a church community. They began doing the work of ministry. Now, Jesus has said, go, uh, go and through God's power, you will be my witness. And that is what was going to make them effective in ministry is the power of God. And as they were going forth and doing the work of ministry and as the church was expanding and all, Luke said they had favor with the people and they were greatly, greatly esteemed. Well, throughout Acts, we've been seeing the impact of the Word of God as well as the preaching of the Word. And when they had been baptized by the Holy Spirit, the gifts and the Spirit power were evidenced in their ministry. And thousands are being saved. Miracles, signs, and wonders are present. Now, Paul would later give insight into how God affected this kind of change. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. It didn't come with just mere words. It was exhibited in power and miracles with a lot of confidence and, and, and a lifestyle and a life that was obviously transformed and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And that's how effect was taking place. The power through the gospel, the transformed lives. These all were impacting the people. Well, persecution obviously began to rise. We saw that. But when they were being persecuted the, and, and they, were being, they were being spoken to and all, uh, the one thing that stands out in those who were, who were uh, looking at them closely is they, they simply said they've been with Jesus. Well, persecution did arise, at first in a mild form. But as we've seen, it grew in intensity. It became so severe that they scattered throughout Judea and into Samaria. Now, Jesus had said to preach in Jerusalem, in Judea, as well as Samaria. So we're going to see the gospel as it's beginning to expand even further than that. In chapter 8, we saw Philip preaching the gospel in a region called Samaria. Multitudes had listened to the gospel. They were witnessing amazing miracles. Many were being saved. Many were being baptized. And so when this is taking place, Peter and John had uh, heard, and they came from Jerusalem, and they prayed that they would be baptized, these people would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, there was a false conversion. We saw that a man by the name of Simon, also referred to as the sorcerer. They dealt with his false conversion, and, and now they were returning to the city of Jerusalem, and as they were returning, they were preaching in many Samaritan villages, and that's, that's where we're picking up our study today, because as this is taking place, notice verse 26, it says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and then he gives us this, this footnote, if you will, this is desert. Now, Philip continues ministering. He's sharing the gospel. He's going to be speaking to a very high-ranking Ethiopian official. 
Philip is the only one ever referred to in Scripture as an evangelist. We may not hold this particular office, the office of evangelist, but as I've shared with you, we all do the work of one. We all can testify. We all can give testimony. We all can preach the gospel. When Paul was writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, and he was giving him concluding remarks in the second and last letter that he, that he ever wrote, he said, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. He went on to say, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So we may not be called an evangelist, but we can do the work of an evangelist. And we do, in, do, in doing so, we do take the gospel and give it to people. You see, we all, in one form or another, do that work of evangelism. We share the gospel with people. And we'll speak concerning those things that matter the very most to us out of the abundance of our heart. Our mouth will speak. And in the case of Philip, well, he's busy sharing the things of the Lord. An outbreak of God's movement is happening in Samaria. There's something good going on. People are being saved. Miracles are being performed. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is coming among people. The exercising gifts of the spirit it's an exciting place to be and now god is moving this evangelist who was used by him out of this midst the midst of this excitement and he's moving him south into a region called gaza which we have to have a footnote to tell us and to remind us that this is a desert he's going down from where something rich is happening into a desert this is desert and the Lord is speaking to him and saying through the angel, you need to go down here. It's interesting how the Lord can be doing a work and you can be excited about what he's doing. And then he says, I want you to or you're going to go to someplace else. And a place that you would not expect him to be working. When I was a young man, I got saved. And when I got saved, I began going to Calvary Chapel. I was going to Calvary Chapel there in Costa Mesa. And it was an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. Revival and power was taking place. The Lord was moving in wonderful ways. There were a lot of young people getting saved. I was part of that. And I went to that, and I was enjoying it so very much. But I had received an invitation from an uncle of mine to go and spend some time with him. Uncle Sam, I had been drafted. And I had to go into the military. It's a longer story than what I'm giving you right now because I actually avoided going in for several months. And I finally, after getting saved, said, I need to go in. And I went in. But now I'm being taken from the midst of where God is moving in an exciting way. I mean, you'd go to a Bible study and you would be seated on the floor. There would be so many kids getting, getting saved and, 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 and their parents were getting saved and it was wonderful. We'd go to the Bible study. After the Bible study, we would all go to somebody's house. Many of us would go to somebody's house. We would sit on the floor. We would talk about the Bible study. How does that work in our lives? We'd give testimony of what God has been doing. We would hold hands and pray. We would sing songs. There was a lot of life. And for a 20-year-old who had just come out of drugs and alcohol and the other things that pertain to that, now I'm being taken from the midst of that, and I'm being taken to the army. I still remember being on the bus as we, we left the induction center in Los Angeles, and I still remember how, 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 how it was a difficult thing for me to go there, and, and uh, to, now I'm going to Fort Ord, and, and I, I was not excited about that. I was not happy about that. I was being moved from, from a, from a revival-type atmosphere to, to a desert. 
And yet, while I was there in, in this um, Fort Ord and all, I, I met a guy by the name of Larry. His name was Larry Schwalm. And my friend Bill and I shared the gospel with Larry and, and, and there in uh, Fort, Fort Ord back in 1971, in March of 1971, Larry gave his heart to Christ. And, uh, you know, once you finish basics, some go to AIT, others go to various places. I went down to, uh, to uh, Fort, uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. I went through, uh, through jump school there and I eventually made it to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I served out my time there. And and, and I didn't hear from Larry, and, and it had been years. I remembered praying with him and him coming to faith in Christ. And, and then one day, my mom, who was going to the doctor out in the Fontana, Fontana area, uh, my mom uh, talks to me, and she says, you know, Dave, she says, I was at the doctor today, and I was talking to the doctor. And uh, she said, as I was speaking to my doctor, at the end of our conversation, and this is uh, many years after being in the military, she says, as I was speaking to the doctor, the doctor looked at me, my mom said, and, and asked, uh, uh, she said, Rosales, and my mom says, yeah, yeah, that's my, my name. She says, may I ask you a question? And my mom says to the doctor, yes. She said, do you have a son named David? And my mom said, who's asking? No, she said, yeah, his face is in a lot of posters in post offices. No, she said, she goes, yes, I do. Well, the doctor said, your, your, your son led my husband to faith in Christ in Fort Ord in 1971. His name is Larry. Would you please tell your son Larry's doing fine and he's walking with the Lord? You never know. You never know. You can be taken from one place where you see God moving, but that's because he's taken you to another place where he can continue moving. And so when you're taken from something that you really are growing and enjoying and loving and you're moved into another area that may not be a place you'd have chosen, well, the Holy Spirit is the one who directs your foot, your footsteps. And that's what's happening here. The angel of the Lord says to him, you need to arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem again to Gaza. That's going to the south there, and you need to do that. So obediently, he arises and he goes. Now again, he could have been reluctant, but God was after someone. Peter and John, on the other hand, they also left, but they went to Jerusalem and as they were going down to Jerusalem, they were preaching in Samaritan villages. But Philip was sent on a journey of his own. You're to go to Gaza. And again, it's desert. Now, an angel of the Lord is ministering here. So earlier, we had seen an angel release the apostles in chapter 5 as they had been in, in jail. Now, this angel issues a command for Philip to go into Gaza. Now, there were two roads at that time that were heavily used for, that, for travel. Uh, one led into more inhabited areas, but the other went to the desert. So instead of moving into the more populous regions, he was sent into desert. And again, instead of going to a place that was promising, he went to a desert. As I was preparing the study, I, I was thinking of things that that would, I don't know, somehow just remind me of, 
of the journey the Lord had done in my own life. And, and I couldn't help but, but think of how that, when our church first began, we were out here in Ontario, I, I had asked my own pastor, Chuck, to come out and to do a, a study for us. I had had him out on one occasion. He came out to Ontario Christian when we were meeting there. But we had moved out of Ontario Christian Elementary School, purchased some property, and were building out the property, but were using Ontario High School at that time for uh, Sunday services. And I can still remember asking Pastor Chuck if he could come out. And so he did. And so we uh, were at the Ontario High School, and it was a Wednesday night, and uh, the high school at that time sat about 1,200 people. And so people had shown up and filled up that auditorium. There were some even seated on the carpeting in front and all. And I was really blessed at what the Lord was doing at that time. And uh, so Pastor Chuck and I were walking out, and we walked out into the uh, parking lot after exiting the, the uh, auditorium there. And as I was walking next to him, I'll never, never forget what I heard him say under his breath. And it was under his breath that he spoke. He, had, he said this, who would have ever thought Ontario? And I was with him on that one. Who would have thought Ontario? You know, because I'm from uh, L.A. County. I'm from Norwalk and all. And so moving out into San Bernardino County was kind of like different for me. I wasn't used to, you know, the cows and the flies and, and you know. It just was different and all. And so I, would, I said a hearty amen to that. Who would have thought Ontario, you know? And yet, that's what God does. He moves you from one place to another so he can move in that place too. And that's what's taking place. See, the, the Lord is reaching out right now, and he does so to reach those who, who have a need. And so there's really something going on here that the Lord is going to do with an Ethiopian uh, official. It, it, again, in verse 26, it says that the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south. It, it's a divine direction for the purpose of presenting the gospel to this man. Now, Philip had been used by the Lord to preach to multitudes in Samaria. Many had come to faith in Christ as he was preaching. He could have been reluctant to preach after such experiences, but he sent. Now, this is going to strengthen his faith. Because he's going to see that not only does the Lord reach out to the many, but the Lord reaches out to the one. And that's, I think, very important for us to remember. Sometimes we may be thinking that God is only interested in crowds or multitudes. That's not true at all. God wants to reach the, the, the person, but he also wants to reach the multitude. He wants to reach many and in this particular case, he's going to reach the one, which is something we see in Scripture with Christ because Jesus will speak to the one who needs him. He speaks to the one who is in need of salvation. He, he spoke of, of a man who is searching for one lost sheep. He, he spoke of a woman who is searching for one lost coin. He spoke of a father who is longing for the return of his lost son. We see Jesus in his ministry. He stops by a toll booth, and he tells a man named Matthew, you need to follow me. He went into a city of Samaria, and he spoke to a lonely woman who was there at a well, just one woman, but he spoke to her, and he brought her to faith in him. He, he, he crossed the Sea of Galilee to reach two demonized men, and each one of these individuals were used to tell many of who Jesus Christ is. That's how it works. Again, 
I couldn't help but be thinking of various things that remind me of what the Lord has done in my own life. Again, I'll use another illustration about that. I went in the military, got out, started a Bible study. I started a Bible study for two people. In Norwalk, it was my mom and my dad. My brother, a year later in 1974, got saved. I came to Ontario from Norwalk every Monday night to teach a Bible study to one person, to my brother Frank. And that's how my ministry has always been. It hasn't, it hasn't been, we need to reach out to the many. That does occur, but it really, it really started with reaching the one because this church began because when I resigned my position in another church that I was assisting in, the reason this church began is because my sister-in-law, Patty, needed a Bible study. And she asked me, where are you going to be now that you're resigned? And I said, I don't know. She opened up her house, and that's how this church began. And so it's always to the one. You reach that one person. Jesus did it, and sometimes the man becomes a multitude. Sometimes the person will develop into more and more, and, and that's how it takes place. And so when the Lord says to him through the angel, you need to move, verse 27 says, he arose and he went. Without argument, Philip did exactly what he was commanded to do. Well, as this is taking place, verse 27, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And so Ethiopia in that day was a large kingdom located south of Egypt. The Greeks and the Romans spoke of it as the uttermost part of the earth. Power was wielded by what was referred to as the queen mother. She was spoken of as Candace. The word Candace speaks of the one of great, a great royal woman. Candace was a hereditary title. This man is spoken of as an Ethiopian. That tells us that this was a black man. Ethiopia in Scripture is also referred to as Cush, and Cush refers to blackness. So this is a black man. He's also referred to as a eunuch of great authority. I'm just going to touch on this a little bit with you. The word eunuch can be spoken of in two different ways. The word eunuch can be used in reference to a man who has been physically castrated, but it is not always used in that way. Because it can also just speak of somebody who is separated for a particular job or duty. In Genesis chapter 39, for example, verse 1, Genesis 39, 1 speaks of Potiphar. And he's referred to as a eunuch. Yet when you read in the story of Potiphar, it also speaks of Potiphar's wife. And so... You can have a position of power, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a castrated man. That's just to make that point uh, more clear. This man is referred to as a eunuch. He's powerful, but he's obviously empty and searching. The Scripture says he came to Jerusalem to worship. He was seeking to know, in other words, the true and living God, but he was returning to Ethiopia spiritually empty. 
Now, he had come to worship, but it doesn't say what feast he had come to observe. It simply says that he is returning from worshiping. Now, his time in Jerusalem didn't completely satisfy his spiritual hunger. When you consider the state of the nation at that time, the spiritual state, he was left unsatisfied. So you can go to worship and leave unsatisfied spiritually. That's what happened to him. There are a lot of people who may go to a church on a Sunday, but they leave spiritually thirsty still. They leave unsatisfied because something in that meeting didn't meet the hunger that they had. Well, this person was hungry. He was hungry for truth. And that made him a great, uh, in a great position to receive Messiah. And so as he's leaving, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit works because it says in verse 28 that he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said to Philip, verse 29, go near and overtake the chariot. So in the midst of all of this, as he's returning home, God is preparing the minister of finance for salvation. God sees the hunger in this man, and he sends one of his men, Philip, to minister to him. In Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13, God says, You will call upon me and go and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so the Spirit says to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Now, just briefly here, notice the Spirit said. Again, there are those who believe the Holy Spirit is just a power or an energy. Power and energy doesn't speak. He has personality. You see this kind of thing referred to again in chapter 10, verse 19, chapter 11, verse 2, and chapter 13, verse 2. It all speaks of the Holy Spirit's personality. He's speaking. He's a person. And, it, and the Spirit is prompting him to move, and he does. You see, God had prepared this man's heart, and it must have thrilled Philip to be able to go and minister to him. As you're looking at the story, he was first directed to a desert. Now he's directed to a man. Both the desert and the man were dry, but Philip is bringing water, the water of life, to a dry man in a desert. It says in verse 30, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a, a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So instead of doubting, Philip runs to this man. He hurries over to the man, and he begins to converse with him, to speak to him. You need to consider for a moment, this is a high official. 
Anytime we see American officials traveling, you'll see that they have an entourage. They have a lot of SUVs and people surrounding them. There's no doubt that even at this time, there were bodyguards surrounding this high official. This official was, uh, was the uh, minister of finance. He would have had bodyguards around him, and yet Philip somehow was able to approach him and begin to speak to him. Once again, sometimes we think that people who are in a high official capacity may not have an interest to, uh, in the Lord. We may think that, what's the point of even speaking to them? They, they have no interest in God and all of that, when in fact they may be being prepared for somebody like you to come up and share, and that's what's taking place here. I really believe that in our day there are many who are hungry for truth. I really believe that people today are, 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 are seeking for purpose and identity. Who am I? What am I to do? You know, what is life all about? We, we may not see that because I think sometimes we're, this truth may be hidden from our eyes because we see so many negative things. We're bombarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you watch the news, we are bombarded constantly, constantly with negative things. And, and yet, that's just not true. There are a lot of people who want to know the things of the Lord. They'd be more than willing to hear. And, and we see that in this man here. Notice how in verse 30, he was reading. And when it says he was reading, he's obviously reading out loud because Philip hears him. But he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And the question is asked, do you understand what you're reading? What a great opening conversation. Do you understand what it is that you're reading? The man would not know what he was reading. It's a great question because it gives uh, the man the opportunity to say, yes, I do, or no, I don't. Well, the man says, how can I unless someone guides me? Well, take that into consideration. This is a high official speaking to somebody he doesn't know, which reveals a humble character. He's obviously a very religious man, but he's also a very powerful man. And Philip's a stranger. He's not rich. He's not powerful. But the Ethiopian humbly confesses, I need someone to teach me. This passage, he's saying, has arrested my attention. I want to know what it means. Well, Philip's an evangelist. That's his whole purpose in ministry is to explain things to point to Christ. He's filled with the Spirit, the Scripture said, as well as wisdom. He's conversant with the passage, and he can provide the answer. As an evangelist, he's also a teacher. So how can I understand this unless someone guides me? You might find this interesting, but the Bible is a closed book to those who don't know the Lord. I wonder how many people, when you've had opportunity to share your faith, will say to you something like, well, I've read the book. It's filled with contradictions, or I've read the book, and uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, there are people who will say, well, I've read that. I was raised with that. I don't believe it. And when you begin to ask them the reasons why and all, sometimes they, they don't have real reasons for it. Well, here's something you might find interesting. The Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says it like this. People who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It, it all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. When I was in the military, we had mail calls. And when the letters would come, sometimes my friends would want to read to me what they, the letter they had received. And, 
And so you'd, you'd get a letter that says, uh, you know, Grandma's doing well, and Mama made that pot roast, and Dad's job is working out. And they'll read it to you, and, and that happened on a few occasions. But it, mat it mattered not to me. I don't know their dad, don't know their mom. I don't know anything about them. It made no sense to me. I could kind of understand, yeah, he's talking about family, but it wasn't personal. And that's how it is sometimes. As a matter of fact, that's how it is when people are reading the Bible, but they don't know the author of it. It's a letter that was written to people who know him. It's a personal, it's a family letter. And so the Ethiopian, he has understanding. He's been taught. He knows various things. He's a convert to Judaism. But he doesn't know what this is referring to. Is it speaking of, of this man? Is it speaking of someone else? What's going on? You see, the preaching of the word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is what draws the unsaved to salvation. Nature and conscience can make us aware of a God, but it's the Word of God and the Spirit who reveals God to us. So Philip needed to explain the passage to him that he might see who it points to, because, again, it takes the Holy Spirit to draw us to Jesus. In John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. So the man's response reveals the humility of his heart as well as his hunger. He invites Philip to be seated with him. And at that invitation, come up, come up here. And that must have thrilled Philip to have this opportunity. Well, he begins to read the place in Scripture that is from Isaiah. And so he asks the question, who is the prophet writing about himself or some other man? You might find this interesting, but this is a question that many have wrestled with in Israel. Some thought Isaiah... Speaking of himself, some were teaching that this spoke of Jeremiah or one of the righteous prophets who had suffered. But there were many others who said, no, Isaiah 53 is speaking concerning Messiah. You might find this interesting that in synagogues, I was listening to a Jewish believer recently who was saying that in Jewish synagogues, Isaiah 53 isn't read. They'll read Isaiah 52. They read Isaiah 54, he was saying, but they don't read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one of the most famous chapters in the scriptures that give to us prophetic insight into our Messiah. And that's exactly the portion of scripture that God had led this man to open and to read and to begin to question. Who is he speaking about? Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus. Now the Bible tells us that Philip was filled with faith and power, as well as God's word, and he clearly shares Jesus with this man. Beginning at this scripture, he preaches Jesus. This simple principle seems to be lost on many in pulpits today. That we just kind of pick up and we don't present Jesus in the scripture. And many are not doing this. But that is the strength of Calvary Chapel ministry. The whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. John 5.39 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So we studied to be able to minister in this manner with a systematic understanding and knowledge of how the scripture points to Christ. And Philip was able to present this passage. And in doing so, 
was pointing this Ethiopian man to the Savior. And so as it begins to speak to him, verse 36, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Obviously, uh, Philip had shared with him who Jesus is, obviously. He shared with him about Jesus' life. He shared with him about Jesus' ministry. He shared about the, the, the death on the cross. He presented to, to him um, that Jesus had, had died but was resurrected the third day. He, he spoke of, of how Jesus had sent the disciples out and that they were to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, he shared with them how that Jesus had said, power will come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. He shared it all. He shared enough for the man to say, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Baptism is a picture of new life in Christ. Paul later on in Romans 6 would say it like this in verses 3 through 5. Don't you know that, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And as he's sharing somewhere along that road, this man said, I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in the midst of all of this dryness, they find a place of refreshment in life. And so the question is asked, what hinders me from being baptized? I, I want to follow Jesus. And before all of these people, I will be baptized. I, I want to make an open profession of faith. It's amazing to me how the Lord can do things like that, to touch somebody in such a way that he says, yes, I will identify with Christ. I was listening to um, Sandy McIntosh, who is... Uh, the wife of Mike McIntosh, who Mike was a pastor of Horizon uh, Fellowship, used to be called Calvary Chapel San Diego. And uh, Mike and Sandy have an interesting story. I won't tell you the whole thing. It takes too long. But they had been married. They were divorced. Mike got saved. Mike begins to share with his wife, ex-wife, that she needs the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to pester her. Finally, he says, you know what, because she likes music, they're having some music uh, at Pirate's Cove. You ought to come. Would you come to, to this concert is the way Mike was putting it. You know, there's going to be music and a lot of young people. And Sandy says, so she went. She's an unbeliever. She doesn't know the Lord. She goes. She said it was so overwhelming that because uh, somebody was there leading worship, but she said it was overwhelming because all of these people were Christians. She didn't know it was really a Christian thing. It was actually a baptism at Pirate's Cove. She said, I was so moved by what was taking place. I thought, I ought to get baptized too. Now, she's an unbeliever, but she climbs in line, and she's going to go to the water so that she might be baptized. And so somebody standing next to her says to her, oh, you're getting baptized. 
And she says, yeah. And he says, so you're a believer in Christ. And she says, well, I don't know exactly what that means. And he says, oh, so you're going to get water baptized, but you're not a, a Christian? She says, well, you know, everybody's getting baptized. He says, well, he says, let me tell you what it is. And he's there sharing with Sandy. So even when she was in line, she gave her heart to Christ and then was water baptized as a believer. It, you need to tell them what it's about. It's not just a getting in water and coming out. It's the death, burial, and resurrection that we can have through Christ. And, and that's, how you, that's why you were baptized. That's why I got baptized. It wasn't the washing of, of the dirt from my skin. It was a, a, a clean conscience that was purified by the blood of Christ. And it was, a, it was a symbolic death, burial, and resurrection when I went into that water. And so as this man is, uh, is listening, the Ethiopian is listening, he said, here, Here's some water. What is preventing me? You can be if you believe with all of your heart. You don't just get water on your skin. There needs to be a transformation from within. If you believe, he said, with all of your heart, you may. That's what was necessary, was belief. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now there are no such thing as half-hearted conversions. This man was a Jewish proselyte. He was a convert. He would know what God spoke concerning worship and duty to him. In Mark 12, 29 and 30, we read, when Jesus was asked, what is their great command? He said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. I didn't, I didn't follow Christ half-heartedly. I want to love God with everything. When Marie, my wife, and I got married, she didn't make a half-hearted commitment to me. I'll love you three times a week, but the other four days are mine. She didn't do that. I did that. No, she didn't do that. It's all or nothing. I didn't get married thinking that there are options or things I can do throughout the week, and then some days I'll be with you and make you special. Marriage is a full commitment, a total life that I will share with you until I close my eyes and I see Jesus. That's what it is. Well, so is conversion. Conversion, when you come to faith in Christ, is not half-hearted. You're not giving God a chance. You're not giving him opportunity. You're saying, I'm a worthless sinner in need of forgiveness. You're my Savior. Forgive me. I will follow you. And that's what he was doing. If you believe, it's not just if you kind of think, it's if you believe, you may. And he says, I do believe. I am convinced that Jesus is the Savior. I believe that he is the Son of God. And so he says that, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, he does this in front of the entire entourage. He says openly in front of all these people, and this is a very humbling thing for him to do. 
I am going to be a follower of this man, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, verse 39 points out, Philip was immediately taken from the man's presence. The spirit who had led Philip to the desert and to the Ethiopian, that same Holy Spirit now removes him. It, it says here that he, it, he caught Philip away is the way it's phrased. That word caught speaks of something that, uh, that was quickly taken out. It's the same basic word that is used in reference to the rapture, a sudden taking out. So there is a lot of speculation as to whether something miraculous happened where he was instantly removed, and others will say, no, he was simply immediately moved out. Whatever the case is, he's taken away. The response, though, notice that, is the Ethiopian, because he is now rejoicing in his salvation. Now, Philip, according to verse 40, is found 20 miles north in a place called Azotus. And as he's moving up north, he's preaching. And he's preaching in cities, going up the coast, apparently, until he comes to a place called Caesarea. And we go to Caesarea. We go there. We've been there many times up in uh, Port City, up to the north. And so he moves on up, and he's there in Caesarea. So we know that Philip continues his ministry, but we never hear again of the Ethiopian. There's nothing said of him in Scripture. In uh, history of the church, we have what they're called the, the fathers. They are people who live very close to the, to the birth of the church. They're called the church fathers. There was a church father named Irenaeus, and he says that the Ethiopian had become a missionary to the, to the Ethiopians. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. But I would assume that there would be truth in that, in that he was taken from one place back to his own place so he could be a witness there to those who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no doubt but that this man would have been used in that way, the way that you were used when you got saved and you went to your friends or you went to your family or you went to your school classes or your job site or your neighbor, whatever it was, how you became an open witness to Christ. It's been said that the most selfish person is the one who goes to heaven alone. When we got saved, we weren't saved just to satisfy our own soul. We were saved because at one time we were in a desert, but we were given the water of life. And even as Philip had been in the midst of revival, if you will, as a, a great outpouring of the Spirit and moved into a desert, he was moved into the desert so he could bring water to a thirsty man. Every time we come to a church fellowship like this, a Wednesday night or whenever the night may be or during the week, we are not come just to, to be fed. We have come to be equipped so that we can leave with the water of life and share with others 
This is what God has done. All we are are beggars who have been fed a meal who can tell other beggars where they can eat. And so we're called by God to just be open to where he would have us to be and to share faithfully when he provokes us to do so. And when given opportunity, we can see God do wonderful things because God has appointments with people and he's waiting for us to somehow be involved in encouraging them. And he uses wonderful ways to reach people. I will close with one last memory. I was speaking uh, to someone about this just today. How that years ago when our fellowship, we, we used to meet in um, Ontario on Maple Street. We were having a men's retreat. And we went off to the retreat. It was on a Friday. We went off to the retreat. And uh, as we were there, a couple guys showed up. We, we didn't know who hadn't signed up. And so we asked, one of the guys asked, how'd you guys know we had a retreat? You didn't sign up. And this is what had happened. Somebody had left the church service and had a, we used to have the bulletins at that time. And apparently the, the uh, form for the retreat had come out of their bulletin and the wind had blown it down the street. So this invitation to the retreat had been blown down the street and somebody found it. And I, it's been so many years, I try to remember the details, but somebody had found it. And one of the, it was a woman and she and her sister, I think it was, were married to guys that didn't know the Lord. So they read it. They said to their husbands, you need God. And they drove them up to the retreat. And at the retreat, they dropped them off and drove away and said, don't come home till you're changed. And both of those guys got saved at the retreat. And I just spoke to one of them this morning. I haven't seen him in years. And uh, it was such a blessing to see him. He's, he's with us in our church today. And uh, that's how God works. That's how God works. You know, he'll move you. In this case, he moved a piece of paper. But he'll move you. He invites you. And then 40 years later, you have a story where you say, I definitely was moved by God to come to faith in him. This Ethiopian eunuch, Philip in a, a revival. God says, go to desert. I have somebody I want to reach. And church history says, and I have no reason to disagree with this, that this Ethiopian brought that gospel that he was saved by and shared with others there in Ethiopia. Where is your place that God wants you to share? Where has he moved you to? Be faithful and watch what God will do. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor David or Calvary Chapel Chino Valley, please visit our website at calvaryccv.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day.